0: Well, good morning, TV. What's up? My name is Carlo. I get to be the teaching pastor here at OneChurch. Again, I just want to echo Kim. If you're a first-time guest here, a first time in a long time, welcome. So glad that you're here. Shout-out to everyone watching in the video venue or online streaming this around the world. However you're with us, we're glad that you are connected with OneChurch today. So we're halfway through a series uh, titled It Starts With One, and we've been journeying through the Book of Acts, uh, really wrestling with this question, what does it mean To be the church. And so we learned in Acts chapter 1 that it all starts with Jesus. And then Pastor Chris shared with us a couple of messages out of Acts chapter 2 where he really, really explained to us how the church was born and how God filled the believers with his Holy Spirit. And that's his plan to dwell amongst us uh, so that we can share the good news about Jesus with everyone so that we can talk to people about Jesus, that the gospel is for everyone, this good news is for everyone, no one excluded. And Of course, last week, we talked a little bit about the importance of community and connecting. We had group link, of course, and it was just a right-on-time passage to be looking at the end of Acts chapter 2 uh, to understand that. We can't just base everything we do for God on our feelings. Our feelings can betray us sometimes, but instead, we're not motivated by that. We're motivated by His Word, by what He's done for us, so this is a great message. You can go to TV and you can catch up on any of those talks if you missed one. This week we're going to be in Acts chapter 3, and we're going to look at a a cool turning point in the life of the church, In Acts chapter 3 speaks volumes to where we're at today in our culture, and we'll get there in just a few minutes. Do any of you know what a catalyst is? Have you heard that term, catalyst? Yes. If you're looking at uh, a match, lighting a bunch of matches, you know what a catalyst is, right? It's an agent that brings about a change in something else. I know uh, I love chicken wings. Any chicken wing fans in the house? chicken wings. I know over in the video venue, my partner in ministry and partner in crime, Chris Edmondson, he loves chicken wings like I love chicken wings, you know. I know uh, 20 chicken wings eaten very, very fast is a catalyst to an upset stomach for me, (laughs) right? 25 wings eaten fast is a catalyst to a long nap, right? I'm going to sleep really, really well. I won't wake up well, but I'll sleep really, really well. Catalyst is a substance used to bring about a reaction or put it this way, a catalyst is an agent that provokes or speeds significant change or action. An agent that provokes or speeds significant change or action. Now I know a little bit about provoking because I'm often a catalyst to someone else's aggravation, right? I know how to push those buttons. You know how to do it too, right? How to push those buttons, how to say that word, how to instigate, how to provoke, how to cause a change in something. Just post your opinion on Facebook and you'll see really quick that you can be a catalyst to drama, right? You can stir a lot of it up. We know how to be catalysts for negativity, but what if you were a catalyst for good? What if you were a catalyst for love? for life change. In this series, in dealing with the question, what does it mean to be the church, I believe the answer to that is that to be the church means to be a catalyst. As the church, we should be agents that provoke or speed significant change or action, obviously for good in the world. In fact, we believe that dormant in the life of every believer is the power to change the world. And so our big idea today, if you don't get anything that we talk about, understand this, that your love and action could be the catalyst to life change. Your love and action could be the catalyst to life change. So we're going to look at Acts chapter 3 and really see an awesome story in the text that really, really brings this big idea home. So we're going to look at this miracle, this awesome story in Acts chapter 3, uh, that not only was a significant event in one person's life, it completely changed the trajectory of the churches we're going to see in a couple of weeks. So let's start reading Acts chapter 3 and verse 1. It'll be on the screen or on the YouVersion app if you have it there. Verse 1 of Acts chapter 3 says this, Peter and John went to the temple one afternoon to take part in the 3 o'clock prayer service. So Peter and John, these two are apostles of Jesus. They are at this time kind of the head honchos of the church. They're kind of the big dogs, right? And they're going to pray in the temple. The temple, very important structure a very important piece of real estate and we're going to talk about that at length here in a minute but they were going to pray three o'clock so they had this rhythm of prayer rhythm of showing up so the temple we don't have time to really dig into all that the temple meant and pastor chris talked about this a couple of weeks ago about the importance of this area Uh, but the temple was a big deal uh, to the jewish people who lived in israel at this day and age uh if you've rewind way deep in the old testament and you read exodus leviticus numbers deuteronomy you read about the tabernacle which was the portable version of what would become this temple you read uh second samuel first second kings you see this idea of this temple being constructed Uh, but essentially what it was was a building a complex that had several different courts several different sections um and this temple Inside of the innermost section, a place called the Holy of Holies in the inner court, it's super deep inside, there was this veil that divided it. And in there, uh, there was an art. And just, there's a lot of ritual that took place in how they worshiped God that centered on the temple. Are you with me? It was the center of the, in fact, according to the Old Testament, it was in the temple that God's spirit actually lived and hung out. So the actual presence of God would be inside of this building. So the temple had some deep spiritual significance. And so any good Jewish person during this culture, they would go to the temple per the tradition, per the law, and they would follow the customs and the religion that they had to. So the temple had some spiritual meanings, but it also had some not-so-spiritual significance. The temple was fancy. How many of you like fancy stuff? I can see you reclined in your fancy chair, so I already know. You like fancy things, right? The finer things. The temple represented that. It was lavish. It took a long time to rebuild this. The version that's in Acts chapter three took forty six years from when they started its renovations until right there. And it was had all kinds of gold and decorated roofs and marble columns and the pictures obviously don't do justice but it was a big deal type of building according to historian josephus i like to think of him as like josephus jenkins from guthrie kentucky right isn't josephus just a good old boy name right well this guy's not a good old boy but in my mind he is every time i see the historian josephus josephus wrote a lot about the early church history outside of the bible He documented a lot, and when he writes about the temple, he said the stones used in its construction were so exceedingly white that from a distance, it looked like a mountain of snow, that the sun's reflection on the extensive uh, gilding made it painful for people to even look at it. So the temple was so fancy, so opulent, that it was hard to even get your eyes on it from afar because it just had so much bling, right? That was the temple. So the temple kind of represented opulence, but it also represented exclusion. See, there were a lot of rules to going and worshiping in the temple. Things had to be done in a certain way. Some of that was based on Old Testament law. Some of that was just based on the traditions that they added to the Old Testament law. But physically disabled persons were routinely prevented from ever entering the temple. They couldn't go all the way in the inner court to worship. Gentiles or non-Jews, they weren't allowed to have any part of worship in the temple complex, and Jewish women were only given restricted access to where they could go. Even just so they had these little pockets where you can go this far, but no, no farther. You can go this far, but no farther. Now, the original temple, the one I told you about from First uh, and Second Samuel, First and Kings, that 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 temple, it was destroyed. In 586 B.C. by the Babylonians. Sorry to offend anyone here who might be Babylonian, but you know the truth. Y'all destroyed some stuff back in the day, right? So Babylonians destroyed the temple, um, and then it was rebuilt. And some argue that the rebuilding of this temple was kind of a foreshadowing of what God eventually was going to do in his people, which is not dwell in temples anymore, but dwell inside of all of us. You with me? It's what Pastor Chris talked about a couple of weeks ago. The Spirit of God dwells in us. So some think that first destruction actually was a foreshadowing of that. Now fast forward to Acts chapter 3, and you see this temple that took a long time to complete. It was fancy. This temple is actually eventually destroyed in 70 AD, but There's a really important detail that we need to talk about that'll make sense. You're probably wondering, why is he rambling on about this temple? It's very important to understand what was happening in the temple in Acts chapter 3. Now, in the Old Testament, God gave specific orders for the furniture and the furnishings that had to be inside of the temple. First the tabernacle, and then in the temple. There had to be a place for this bread, there had to be a lampstand, there had to be a washing basin, there had to be an altar, and there had to be an ark. Of the covenant. Have you ever heard of the Ark of the Covenant? Any Raiders of the Lost Ark fans? You've seen the movie, Indiana Jones, right? Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. Nice fancy box with the golden wings and the angel and the handles. And if you touch it, you die. You know, that kind of box. That was where God's presence would come down and dwell when he was inside there. The problem is in 586, when the temple was destroyed, the Babylonians stole everything, including the Ark of the Covenant. So when you fast forward to the temple being rebuilt, There's no historical record or biblical record that the ark came back. Ezra and Nehemiah, those are two books of the Old Testament written by Ezra and Nehemiah, (laughs) they both document what happened as the Israelites came back out of exile in Babylon and started rebuilding things. Nehemiah talks about the rebuilding of the wall. Ezra talks about the rebuilding of the temple. And Ezra makes no mention of the ark or of God's presence showing back up in that temple. Basically, they rebuilt this temple and they carried on with the religious acts of worship, but it was all a little hollow. Bottom line is, this temple in Acts chapter 3 had all of the trappings of worship. They had the sacred text, they had the priests, they had the workers, they had the veil, the furnishings, but one thing was missing. The power and presence of God. He wasn't there until Peter and John show up maybe you used to go to that church. I used to go to that church. Looked like a church, talked like a church, smelled like one, but there wasn't really any life change happening, right? There was a lot of rules, a lot of what I can't do, what I shouldn't do, but there wasn't really a lot of power and presence of God in that place. So Peter and John show up and everything changes. So first thing we learn from that passage is that healthy habits make a difference, Healthy habits make a difference. The healthy habit of going to pray put Peter and John in an awesome position. Let's keep reading. Verse 2. As they approached the temple, a man lame from birth was being carried in. And each day he was put uh, beside the temple gate, the one called the Beautiful Gate, so he could beg from the people going into the temple. And when he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for what? Some money. So the Beautiful Gate... It's said to have been between the court of the Gentiles, so that's as far as the Gentiles could go without being killed, and the court of the women. So this beautiful gate is kind of at this access point where a lot of different people would come and travel. It was called beautiful, not because it was ugly, right? Come on, guys, context clues. It looked good, right? It had gold and bling, and it was fancy, and if you were going to beg for people with money, wouldn't you want to go hang out where the money stuff is, right? Like, I don't want to be by the old rusty gate. I want to be by the beautiful gate, right? I want to be by the blingy gate if I want someone to give me some stuff. And so every day, this guy would get dropped by this gate. I read that and struggle not to get frustrated by the people who carried him every single day to go beg. Like, I don't know about you, but if I carried someone every day somewhere, I think I'd eventually get in their life and help them out, right? Like, this guy didn't even need to be there begging if the people taking him to beg would have just met his need. But that's... I can't rewrite the Bible as much as I want to rewrite that. I can't rewrite that part this morning. Anyway, what's significant about this beautiful gate? Well, a lot of people pass through there. And this man was put there every day. He'd been disabled since birth. And we don't know how long he was brought to the gate. But we do know from Acts 4.22 that this man was over 40 years old. So just doing some rough math, he was there a long time. Right? Is that okay? He was there a long time. So now imagine... Everything this beggar saw being at that gate every single day for years. The disciples went to the temple, how often? Every day was their custom. So surely he might have seen some of the other disciples and apostles. He sat up there for a long time, so he probably witnessed Jesus show up to the temple. Do you know what Jesus did when he showed up to the temple? He saw what they were doing. They turned the temple into like a swap meet. And so Jesus went and made a whip and he came back and he kicked over a bunch of tables and chased everybody out with the whip. It's some, one of my favorite stories in the Bible because it shows intentionality. It says in the Gospels, he went and fashioned a whip. Can any of you guys make a whip in like five minutes? No. Like that's intentional weaving and looking for the right thing. Almost like go pick me a switch. Any of y'all from the switch generation, right? <laughs> I love that story because it's intentional. He's like, they're not going to turn this house of prayer into a den of thieves But this beggar, he witnessed that. He was there, front row seat, to blind people being, have their sight come back, to children praising Jesus, to the religious Pharisees confronting Jesus. This beggar saw it all, and yet the beggar just blended in. He became what so many in our society have become, just background noise, just another person with another problem to be ignored, or at best for somebody else to deal with. That's where this beggar is at. But look what happens. Verse 4. Peter and John looked at him intently, and Peter said, look at us! I know I just woke some of you guys up, but see, that's an exclamation mark, and my English teacher told me I could yell when I read exclamation marks, and so that's what that was all about. I'm not like a yelly kind of preacher, but I'm just, this is good English, good grammar, right? Look at us! Got his attention. See, there are people we walk by all the time who are hurting, they're busted up, they need help. And we say we'll pray for them or we might blame them for being in that situation. But did Jesus ever do that? No, he never did that. He reached out, he looked and saw people's needs, and he had compassion on them when he looked at them. And so I love this this humanizing that's happening. Peter and John stopped when this man begged and they got his attention. Look at us. So healthy habits make a difference and found people find people when they look. Found people, find people by looking. It's a great lesson we learn in that text, right? You have to actually look. We say found people, find people at one church all the time. It's one of our core values. We mean it, right? Jesus found us. The least we could do is care to look for. But it doesn't happen accidentally. You get what I'm saying? There's some intentionality that has to happen for me to really reach people to, who need Jesus, who are far from God. The people are there. We just have to open our eyes and see them. So God, in his perfect timing, he takes his two heavy hitters, Peter and John, puts them right at the right place to reach out to this guy and let him know to bring about life change. Imagine what could happen if we just opened our eyes to the needs and the opportunities that are around us. Let's keep reading. Verse 5. The lame man looked at them eagerly, expecting what? Some money. So he begged for money. They said, look at us. And he's expecting some money. But look at verse 6. This is the turning point in the text. But Peter said, I don't have any silver or gold for you, but I'll give you what I have. In the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, get up and walk. The beggar asked for money. And he probably saw Jesus several times. And he probably witnessed the blind man receive his sight. Surely he knew by this time who Peter and James were. So after we'd seen what happened, Peter, James, Peter, John, all these apostles were there, Acts chapter 2. Surely he, he knew who these guys were. They were the talk of the town. It was a big deal. He'd seen miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle, but he still asked for money. Why did he ask for money? I believe that he was convinced that he could never be healed. That everyone else would be blessed, but instead of him. That he could never rise above his station. That he would always be there. I I think he was, like so many people we know, convinced that there was just no more hope. That the best thing he could hope for is a little bit of change to get through to the next day. Now hear me, it's very important to meet people's felt needs. You understand what I mean when I say a felt need? Like if somebody is hungry, what's the best way to help them? Feed them. We talked about that a couple weeks ago, right? Give them some food. But if someone is to the place where they're begging for food, is there more going on than they're just hungry, right? Of course. We have a bad habit, though, of judging the, ba- the, the life situation without taking care of the need. You understand what I'm saying? We say, well, you know, you would just get a job if you would just go to school. Well, you got to get off drugs. you got to make better decisions. Is all that stuff true? Yes. But you know what's also true? They need a stinking sandwich, Like, it's okay to give him a sandwich and then tell him, okay, now let me help you out, get your life together, right? The guy's homeless. He needs a roof over his head. He doesn't need your judgment. He doesn't need your 10 steps to your best life now. He needs a roof. And then he needs Jesus. And then the roof in Jesus is going to be the catalyst to help the person get out of that situation. Does that make sense? I do a lot of work with nonprofits in Clarksville, Man of Cafe Ministries uh, specifically, and I see this every single day, every single day. People who have a need, and we don't want to meet the need because, well, I don't want to create a dependence on a system. I get that and respect that, but could we give them a sandwich first and then help them find a job? So we got to make sure we don't jump to these extremes. But I believe this man felt hopeless. He was looking for a temporary fix, money. Sometimes we look for temporary fixes to our problems money, sex, love, work ourselves to death. That veil of pain and darkness just comes on us and we lose hope. But instead of offering people temporary solutions, what if we got to the root of it all and really gave people what we do have, what they do need? And that's the hope that you and I have in Jesus. This man looked to them expecting something. And you can believe when you follow Christ, people are going to look to you expecting something. What are you giving? Look at verse seven. Then Peter took the lame man by the right hand and helped him up. And as he did, the man's feet and ankles were instantly healed and strengthened. He jumped up, stood on his feet, and began to walk. Then walking, leaping, and praising God, he went into the temple With them, I think Luke really wants us to know this guy is healed, right? Walking, leaping, praising God. He went into the temple with them. Here's a cool thing about this. This guy up to this point, guess where he was never allowed to go? Into the temple. So part of this insane rejoicing is, my legs work. They've never worked and they work now. And I think there's a part of his rejoicing that also was connected to, finally, I get to be with God's people. I get to do what my heart has always wanted to do, which was go where God's stuff is happening. All it took was someone to stop, actually pay attention to him, and meet his need and help him out. A catalyst for life change. Peter's love and action was a catalyst to life change for this guy. Peter said, I don't have any wealth, but what I do have is eternal He could have given the guy some pocket change if he had had it and let him survive one more day. But Peter knew of a wealth that was worth way more than just some money. He knew the main thing that this guy needed, and it was Jesus. Jesus is the most precious gift that you and I could ever share with anyone else. No dollar, no affection, no prize compares with the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Healthy habits make a difference. And found people find people by looking. And generosity includes sharing Jesus. Should we be generous with our stuff? With our money? Yes. Relax. I'm not going to preach on money. Some of y'all clenched up real tight. Relax. I'm not going to start preaching on money. But generosity also includes sharing Jesus. You might say, he didn't share Jesus with him. He just told him to get up and be healed. That's not what happened, right? He said, in the name of Jesus, on the, that's on, the son, on the authority of the Son of God, get up. And I, I like to think that beggar, as soon as he heard Jesus' name, he said, oh, I know that guy. Oh, I know what y'all are about. Something powerful. The name of Jesus changes everything. The name of Jesus changes everything. We gather, OneChurch.tv, in the name of Jesus. We don't gather here in the name of some vague, big guy in the sky, God, spirituality. No, we know that it's this Jesus who lived for us and loved us and died for us and rose again, that that's the name that we gather in. We could have all the fancy stuff. We could build awesome buildings on our property, have the best HD screens, have phenomenal seats, world-class kids' environments, worship team that rocks. We could have all the smoke and the lights and everything that you might want. But if we don't have Jesus, we just have an awesome place to come hang out on Sunday mornings. Without Jesus, it's just a positive self-help message that'll make you feel good for the next seven days. When we serve others without Jesus, we're no better than any other social agency out there that's doing good. What sets us apart is we do it all in the name of Jesus because we know he's the one that actually changes lives. He's the one that actually changes situations. You remember that mess that you were in? You know the mess I'm talking about, right? Your life. You remember that? Where you used to be? It's not because one church is awesome that you're not there anymore. It's not because Cameron can play the drums. It's not because Justin played a mean bass this morning, right? It's not because Chris hit one out of the park. Sermon was awesome. It's not because, man, Carlo did this teaching in small group, and it was amazing what changed your life was Jesus. And if that's true and if that's your reality, why would we not share that with other people? The name of Jesus changes everything, and it changed everything for this man's situation. Let's keep reading. Verse 9. All the people saw him walking and heard him praising God, and when they realized he was the lame beggar they'd seen so often at the beautiful gate, they were absolutely astounded. They all rushed out in amazement to Solomon's colonnade, where the man was holding tightly to Peter and John. Peter here, he's moving on faith. Notice Peter said, in the name of Jesus, get up and walk, and then what does Peter do? He reaches out his hand and helps the man, and the Bible says, Instantly, immediately, he got up and walked. He didn't get up and walk immediately after Peter said the words. He got up and walked immediately after Peter reached out and touched him. So there we have illustrated the point that I'm making. It's not just saying, oh, God bless you. It's putting feet to faith, right? It's doing something with that powerful word. Peter stepping out in faith saying, in the name of Jesus, be healed. And then Peter reached out believing, hey, you're going to be healed. The Bible says this man went into the temple courts jumping, dancing. This was no fake. This was no show put on on human efforts. This was a supernatural miracle done for one purpose only, and that is to make a big deal about Jesus, about the powerful name of Jesus. Do you want to be generous? Share Jesus in word and in deed. Let's wrap up this story. Verse 12. Peter saw his opportunity and addressed the crowd. People of Israel, he said, what is so surprising about this? Why stare at us as though we had made this man walk by our own power or godliness? For it is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of all of our ancestors who has brought glory to his servant Jesus by doing this. This is the same Jesus whom you handed over and rejected before Pilate despite Pilate's decision to release him. You Kill, rejected this holy, righteous one and instead demanded the release of a murderer. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead, and we are witnesses of this fact. Through faith in the name of Jesus, this man was healed, and you know how crippled he was before. Faith in Jesus' name healed him before your very eyes. This is another little micro-sermon from Peter in the early chapters of Acts. Who is the main character of Peter's sermon? Jesus. Very, very simple. Peter says, why are y'all acting surprised? Didn't we tell you? Like, why are you guys acting brand new? Like, you didn't know this is what Jesus does. This is just Jesus doing what Jesus does. You guys rejected him. You thought he was playing. You didn't think he was real. But once again, here is Jesus being Jesus. Peter and John and these early apostles, they were catalysts to life change for this man because they were in the right place at the right time and they responded with faith and in love and they did it all in the name of Jesus this celebration of this man being healed, it goes on to become a major catalyst for change in the life of the church. Some of it not so good, some of it ultimately good, and we'll pick up on that story next week. But for now, let me ask you, think about the temple. It represented opulence, beautiful, it looked good, it had all the trappings. Think about that temple, and then ask this question of yourself. Are you a beautiful barrier, like that fancy temple, keeping people out? Look churchy, talk churchy, act churchy, but this far and no more. Are you a beautiful barrier or are you a beautiful bridge like Peter was in this story? Like John was, like all the early apostles eventually become. See, the temple boasted extravagance, blinding white walls, marble columns, gilded roof, all of that stuff. And for people in that day, the the beautiful gate represented an access point into community It represented an access point into fellowship. For others, though, that beautiful gate was a barrier, a stark reminder that you don't belong here, that you're not welcome. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to be a barrier to the presence of God for people. I don't want to be a barrier to God's community. I want to be a beautiful bridge, just like Peter was, that reaches out, that connects with the less than. Are we a bridge or a barrier? Are you knowingly or unknowingly erecting keep off the grass signs in your life. You ever been to that place before? All kinds of rules. Can't sit here. Don't touch this. Don't do that. Don't. I I grew up in a church culture where you couldn't really do anything. Like guys, you got to wear a suit and tie or you're not spiritual enough got to wear that Sunday best. Ladies, you got to wear a dress or you're not being holy enough. You can't chew gum in church and don't let me catch a five-year-old running in church or you'll get scolded. That's kind of the culture. This reverence for a place, for a space, actually drove away the very people who needed the presence and the power that was supposed to be in there. Are you erecting keep off the grass signs or are you a catalyst for life change by using the name of Jesus to bring hope to people who desperately need him? You might say, I don't have anything to give these people who need hope. If you're here in this room and you have Jesus, guess what? You have everything. You have more than enough. You have the power in you to bring life change. If you have Jesus, you have everything to give. So what do we do? How do we live this out? Let's let's land this plane. How do we live out what we've learned in Acts chapter 3? The first thing is this. You got to be in the right place. Be in the right place. Healthy habits make a difference, remember? So you have to be in the right place. So Sunday gathering, coming together on Sundays to worship is all about, I want to be in the right place. I want to develop the healthy habit of going to where God's people are and where God does great things. Miracles happen so many times when God's people get together. What do you mean miracles happen? I could start calling out names of people who are part of one church that they'll tell you, I had a catastrophe happen in my life, but God answered my prayer through someone who I go to church with, through someone sitting to the left or the right of you. I think God does so many things. The answers to your prayers are probably in this room, but you got to be connected, right? You have to be in the right place. We did group link last week, and we don't pay lip service here at one church to small groups because it's the cool thing to do. We're not a church that has small groups. We are a small groups church. It's so vital because we know life change happens in that community. God shows up, his presence, his power, and he uses his people to help and to bring healing and to bring hope. But you have to be in the right place. You with me? You got to be in the right place. You got to connect to a group. Stop by the Next Steps table. Stop by the Small Groups table today. You must do this. It's so important. Get connected. Be in the right place. Another way that we get in the right place is through prayer. Remember Peter and John? They were on their way to prayer. You remember that? So prayer actually puts my spirit in the right place. It humbles me, puts me in a posture of openness to hear from God. So be in the right place by gathering on Sunday. Make sure you're connected to a group. Develop that habit of talking to God. And second, you need to make sure you keep an eye out keep an eye out. How do I live out this idea that I, I'm, my, my love and action is a catalyst for life change? Well, I have to have an eye on what's going on around me. Pray for God to show you the opportunities to help people in need. Pray for God to show you the people in your life, in your circle, that you can help. You'll be shocked at how many people we pass by every day while we're saying, God, I want to be used by you as we're ignoring the very people God put in our lives to help. And finally, we need to reach out in word, and in deed. We need to tell people about Jesus. We need to invite people into biblical community. The translation, hey, do you want to come to one church with me? Hey, I'd love to invite you to church. We have to out loud say that. When people ask about our lives, say, I don't know what happened other than Jesus, right? Jesus is the answer. Man, your life used to be so busted up, and it's not now. I don't know why you're surprised. It's just Jesus being Jesus, right? Very, very simple, doesn't have to be complex you don't have to beat people up with the bible right but in word and indeed that means i don't just say oh god bless you i actually look for how can i take care of your need as well and when we do all of that we become an absolute catalyst for life change god uses us and it's exciting that we get to be a part of that imagine you're at a graduation party 75 medical students big party big blowout right Everyone's dancing, the music is loud, the lights are awesome. Everything is good, the food is great. And you're just going at it, right? In a couple of weeks, you guys know, you're going to be off working the grind of professional medicine, and so you're just you're at this party, everything is going well. And then one of the students begins to choke on a pretzel. You ever choked on a pretzel? Yes you have. You've choked on a tortilla chip or something, right? Gets in that windpipe, you start choking. Imagine how crazy it would be for that person to pass out because of a pretzel. And no one understands. No one's paying attention. No one sees the face turn blue. How absurd is that to think of someone dying by choking on a pretzel in a room full of doctors? That's pretty absurd, right? It'd be like drowning in a pool full of lifeguards. Absurd. If you're like me, you think, how does that happen? Listen, we pass by hurting people in our city, hurting people in our lives, people who have felt needs and people who need Jesus. And for them to go one more day without really knowing about the hope that you and I have is just as absurd as watching someone drown in a pool full of lifeguards. The good news is that we have the hope of Jesus in us. We know what he's done in our lives, and we can share that with other people. Someone in this room might be dealing with a pain so unthinkable, a drama so unthinkable. I can tell you you're not without hope. There's hope for you in Jesus. Your love and action could be the catalyst to life change. Let's pray. God, thank you for the power of your word. Thank you for saving us, for calling us to you. Help us to trust you every single day, God, to do more Than we could ever do trying to make it on our own. For the person here who has not said yes to you, God, let this be the moment right now that they say, Lord, forgive me. I've tried to go on my own, God, but I believe Jesus is your son, that he died for me, God. Help me to walk in your freedom and in your truth. And I know when we pray that prayer, God, you do what only you can do. You save us, not because of anything we had done, but because of your grace, your mercy, and your love. God, I thank you so much for the people here called One Church, who love you and want to live for you, I pray that you would open our eyes to see the needs, open our eyes to see how we could be a catalyst for life change in our community in our circles of influence. Help us to love in word and in deed. Yes, God, help us to be givers financially, but help us to also give people Jesus, to live that both and life. And I know, God, that you'll do great things when we just follow your word. Thank you so much for setting us up for success by giving us everything we need, for meeting our needs, and God, for giving us opportunities to partner with you in this great ministry. We love you, God. Thank you for what you're gonna continue to do in us. In the strong name of Jesus, amen. All right. One church, thank you so much for connecting with us this day. I pray you guys would have a great, great week. Stop by the next steps table. If you have any questions or need anything from us, go be the